Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Nolan. I'm Zach. I'm Zach. Uh, what? Wait, what? Again? Yeah. Yeah. You you well, thought you'd have learned by now. <laughs> yeah, after what, like five or six times now? <laughs> For those of you who do not recognize that voice, that is our friend Zach Goins. Uh, gosh, do I still say of Bite Size Gaming? You can. Yeah, that's fine. It's still there. Uh, okay. Okay. Now, yeah. so we'll <laughs> say our friend Zach Goins of Bite Size Gaming, who's off and doing some amazing stuff in, in the world of games. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, we did bring Zach on to talk about, well, continuing our process of talking about Morkborg, this absolutely ridiculous game that I'm thoroughly enjoying. Um, Zach's got a project we're going to be talking about in just a second. But before we do that, Nolan and Zach Smiley, how's things going, guys? Uh, so far, so good. Yeah, things are going well. It's a busy good. week. Get in. They go Aren't fast. Sick. That's... There you go. Wait, Staying healthy. You say, did you say you're sick, Zach? No, I'm not sick. No, well, and it seems like everybody around us is getting sick. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. having uh haven't got caught yet. Yeah, I think at my work we're into double digits in the amount of people who either quarantined or have tested positive. Oh, wow. My son and his girlfriend just came off of uh, being sick. Uh, I did find out that our mutual friend John Thoreau has tested positive last night. Ah, oh, damn. Yeah, I tell you, it yeah. just every time I turn around, I'm hearing about somebody new testing positive, and I think. Uh, was it the other day there was more than a hundred positive cases, lab confirmed cases in, in, in the, just in our city. So, yep. It's everywhere. Well, alrighty. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, so back to just not doing a whole lot except for games. <laughs> That's right. Safer that way. Even outside of pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And better. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but more cost effective, probably healthier for my liver. I mean, there you go. Wait, we don't drink when we're gaming? Just depends on how competitive you get, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've seen how we play D&D, buddy, and I've seen the drinks that we go through. <laughs> That'll happen. It will indeed. <laughs> what about you, Mr. Goins? Are you staying healthy? Staying healthy. I am uh, currently super inspired. Every time we chat, I like uh, I'm Nolan. He has the full of Aurora's artwork. And um, <laughs> I am uh, getting ready to start a 2E one ring game. And nice. seeing that picture, I was like, oh, yeah, I get to do that. And it, I'm excited again. So thank you, Nolan. That's awesome. I think that's My, next on our list. I'm looking forward to playing it. Yeah, I was going to say, we're getting close to it, too. Yeah. So I know we've changed the format of the show and I know Zach, you have not been a part of our show since we changed yeah. the format. So we have been making it to so where we just talk about the topic and that's it. Yeah. But I can't help but mention, I got an email from free league saying one ring has shipped. That's right. <laughs> yes. So I am super excited about that. I mean, I, I was in fact, Zach Goins and I had chatted just a little bit over the, throughout the week and I've got so much stuff coming from Kickstarter. Uh, between like Lights of Winthrop Manor, uh, Den of Assassins, uh, the One Ring, and all the Onyx Path stuff, as well as uh, I backed uh, a book from for Colt. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm gonna need a third bookshelf, and I only have one right now. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, so, we, uh, I'm super excited. I have four in my house. 
That doesn't surprise me. You're, you're, you're well, the both of you are, are very much avid readers, so it doesn't surprise me that you guys have yeah. books everywhere. And, and we still in your house, Nolan. Just, I know you have books everywhere. <laughs> he looks around. We still have just the pile on the floor. Yep. Yeah, I have the stack on the nightstand of stuff that I'm working through. I am reading. I have to share with you guys because I'm super excited about this book. And I think I've told you both about it. I am still working my way through um, The Lies of Locke Lamora. If you guys haven't read this book, you absolutely need to read this book. It is so fucking good. It's the book one of the Gentleman Bastard series. I did pick up the other two books. And I understand there was actually a fourth book in the works, but Scott Lynch had some major mental health issues and had to take a break for a while. Oh, gotcha. sorry to hear that. So if you haven't one. read Lies of Locke Lamora, this is going to be, I'm, I'm, I've decided that I'm going to read something other than gaming books this year. <laughs> and, and gaming books is reading too. So I don't think, I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying that, that I'm not saying it isn't. And I will be reading a lot of gaming books, but so I am going to work through the Gentleman Bastard series. I am going to be rereading some of the Wheel of Time series. Uh, of course, I always have the Horus Heresy on tap because there's a gazillion of those books. But yeah, lots of reading this year. Well, I'm adding it to my Amazon cart. So there you go. Yeah, you really should. It's holy crap. Is it good? It's awesome. a fantasy novel without like a whole. You definitely don't get the feel of like a, a Dungeons and Dragons type novel. This is completely different, and it's all about thieves. All right. All right, cool. I got it. <laughs> sweet, sweet. Okay, so let's let's jump into it. Let's jump into our topic. Like I said, we are continuing our conversation about Morkborg, and we brought Zach on because Zach has a Kickstarter coming up. But before we talk about your Kickstarter, why don't you tell us what you've been up to? Because you've had some changes since the last time you were on. My goodness, yeah. See, I'm trying to think about when exactly we popped on last. Um, I think that was for Denim Assassins, right? Uh, yes, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's been a crazy ride of the last uh, half a year. Let's see, where do we even start? Well, I'll just I'll just summarize and say that back last fall, we merged Bite Size Gaming, Drifters Atlas, and uh, actually several other companies into a singular entity called World of Game Design. And I have a partner that that kind of worked with me through that process and brought his assets to it. But basically, uh, it let us really kind of pool resources and tackle a lot more. And it let me turn my desperately full-time gig into a more stable full-time gig, which was uh, a huge win. So That's awesome. Yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. Yeah, it's really, it, we kind of, the idea behind World of Game Design is, of course, I'm going to still make my stuff and all that, but the real goal, aside from us making what we want, is to help other people make what they want. And so our team is really built around the idea of collaboration and working with other creators and, you know, helping uh, different folks within the community get their passion projects uh, to a platform where they can be successful and they can get them in people's hands. So we got a ton of projects already in the works, and um, that's that's my other passion, right, is helping people uh, with their Kickstarters or with their content in general, their projects, and um, it's cool to see so many things come into life. Yeah, I know you reached out to me and, and asked if we'd ever considered doing anything, and I presented it to Zach and Nolan, and they're like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we are... 
I would imagine here soon we're going to get together and kind of talk about like what we want to do and and uh, see if we can get some some wheels in motion there. So we'll definitely be hollering at you. Yeah. So, well, cool. I'm glad to see that things are going so well for you. I know you are always active with helping people and getting Kickstarters going, and um, which is fantastic. So, speaking of Kickstarters and speaking of Mork Borg, you have something coming up called what is it? Seven aboard the Shackle. You got it right. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> tell us about this. Actually, yeah. before you tell us about this, tell us about how you even came into more. Well, that's that's the real story. I bought the book. I was listening to uh, your your show uh, from a couple of episodes ago, and I was listening to you talk about your first impressions of the book. I'm like, yeah, that sounds really familiar. Um, but I bought the book like a year ago, and it got I got up to my house, and I flipped it open, and I was like, man, this book. I don't like it. It's gorgeous it's like a piece of art but i don't know what i'm reading like i read the whole thing through and i'm like there's a system in here and it doesn't look that complicated but i don't know where to start it's gonna be a while before i play this stuck it on the shelf didn't look at it again until october at which point uh we were at gamehole con and we had a booth right across the way from ed burrell and he was selling his Morkborg adventure called uh the masticators gate uh, which is kind of like this like campaign book for lack of a better word and he has some cool cards that go with it anyhow so i wandered over to him one of those days and i'm like all right ed tell me what's cool about work other than the design like why why did you design a book for this system and so he walked me through it and he, he talked about he's and i said it, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot there other than the feel am i missing something they're like what, what do i need to latch on to to, to grasp this? he said this is 100 style and zero substance and if you're looking for substance, you're looking in the wrong place. Okay, that's that that sounds all right. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go back and look at the book through that eyes where I'm not trying to read into like, where's the cool meat of the system or whatever. Just like 100% style. Got it. Went back and read it. I'm like, aha, aha. I understand this a little bit now. And yeah, it's been, then it became my obsession and Kickstarters out the wazoo, you know, getting on there and trying to catch up with every cool book that's been out in the last year. And uh, there's a lot of them. So if that's been fun, and then I started reading through them and like, oh, this one's cool. I like this one. Oh, this is doing something interesting. And of course, once you get through half a dozen of those, you're like, I want to make one of those. That's where. Yeah, because that's what everybody thinks. Well, I've read half a dozen books. Now I want to make one of these. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's a general sentiment. Yeah, because that's that's normal thinking, Zach. Yeah. Normal. I, I, I assume so. That's all. That, that's the people that I talk to. So I assume it's not. Obviously, you know, we talk about Morkborg. We 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 did a little uh, combat run last time on the show. We did, you know, we created characters and did a little combat run. I think the two, the three of us all agreed that this this game definitely looks like fun. It would be great for taking a break from your big campaign and doing a one shot because your character's probably not going to survive anyway. Uh, and just having. I, I won't say mindless, but it sometimes feels mindless of of just you know having fun and swinging no holds bar. Uh, wouldn't you guys agree with me on that sentiment? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why would you want to with that with that being the case, uh, and knowing that that's kind of how the game is played? Why would you want to create a book about it? Oh, I mean, I like one shots. Uh, so first and foremost, it's my bread and butter to look at that, right? Um, that's that's I love starter sets. I love contained things at this point. I don't care that much about like the idea of like a year long or a two year long campaign. Yeah, yeah that's fine. But 
what if we played a three session game? That would be cool. Things that I can finish. <laughs> That's what I like. And Warport is a game about one way or another getting to the end. Uh, you know, you talked about in a previous episode, their whole uh, calendar of Necrobell and, and how, you know, you set it up and there's a ticking clock and, you know, long campaigns still have an end in sight. So that, that, that's, that's where I started, I guess. I also just liked the way that the book and Nolan, you talked about this before, but the way that the book presents information and presents settings and presents everything is very like to the point. We're not caring about you know, like a formal presentation. We're not concerned about being thorough. What we're concerned with is evoking feel, sharp flavor for each place. Forest of Sarkashian. It's like, oh, and it's got the uh, uh, cemetery Graventos in the middle of it. And you're like, oh, okay, I understand. There's some cool stuff up there and I get the feel, right? And that's that's all you really know, but like there's, you can go explore. And I think the way that they put together that book really facilitates alongside a great third party license really facilitates like go make your own adventures to fill in these gaps or to, to fill in these spaces it it makes it really inviting to create more. and also like like if you look at the book half the book is like creative uh like public domain art some of it's been modified the rest of it is you know so it's awesome art but it's not like gorgeous illustrations that you know cost thousands of dollars it's a book that for a, a smaller company like i want to emulate this i can right maybe not quite to that level at times they got like 110 different fonts and they got glow in the dark <laughs> inks and metallic inks and uh all sorts of craziness but you can get close and that's cool too right like i can make a thing that looks like the real thing tell us about the project yeah, so let's see. So Seven Aboard the Shackle, I had this idea for a while. I like, again, I like the idea of contained things. And I think it was, I was messing, I was fascinated for a while with the idea of mega dungeons in 5e. And like, is there a way to do a 5e mega dungeon that isn't, that doesn't feel counter to the system? While I was picking around at that, I had this idea for uh, a dungeon crawl through a ship, build ship. Oh, that would be cool because that's contained, right? Like it's all one thing. Like there's there's a boundary to it by definition. Uh, your players would kind of know the scale of it from the beginning, uh, but there's still multiple levels. It's all the feel of a dungeon inside a vessel. Researching more into that idea had me stumbling upon the idea of prison hulks, which are these vessels in our history that were decommissioned uh, naval vessels that were retrofitted, like welded onto, scrapped together, to be like these floating prisons, you know, uh, kind of a drift out in port. That's cool. I'll just set that over to the side and someday I'll make a dungeon crawl through a prison. And then Morkborg came along and I was like, what? Am I? Oh, that sounds like a Morkborg idea. Like all of those words sound appropriate for this setting. Let's do that. And um, so that's what Seven Aboard the Shackle is. It's like it took another idea that I had been kind of noodling around with. I really wanted to write a product that was like, Pseudo inspired by the seven deadly sins, not heavily, but just kind of that a little bit of that theme. I kind of welded those two and I had the idea of like a Batman Arkham Asylum sort of feel where there's these very prominent, very flavorful villains that have taken control of the asylum or prison hall, right? And it's your job to put them down or contain them or whatever. And so, yeah, that's the pitch is there's these guys there adrift on the endless sea in a, in a vessel. Uh, that has been commissioned or decommissioned by the Allianz uh, fleet. 
and kind of all of these members of royalty and and, and strange creatures that the Blood Countess uh, was either by because of like decorum or or uh, not decorum, but like a, by, because of like a, because of it's the thing to do or because she's terrified of them. Instead of killing them, she puts them out on this ship and says, "Well, you just stay out there till the world ends." Um, and don't cause any more trouble. And unfortunately, what she ended up doing, kind of as the story develops, or, you know, you can choose to tell something else, but like as the story develops in my mind, kind of come to this realization that she has unknowingly created like a, a black hole of profanity. And this black hole of profanity of like welding all of these individuals together has created something that might rival, at least in part, the the prophecies of the two-headed basilisks and bring their own flavor of misery to the world. I always jump in first with questions, so I'm kind of being quiet if you guys have anything. I mean, I, I there's no way you could have known this, but Arkham Asylum is pretty much my favorite game of all time. So I'm sold. <laughs> That's the same for me. Like, uh, I used to have a job at a sign shop. The Boston were both huge Batman fans, and we played through those games at the same time and talk about our different experiences and obsessed about them. And so, yeah. We're at the same. Place. I was sold. The idea of going into one any prison to take down the bosses of the prison is great, but it's also on a ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zach, you you mentioned something about a lot of the artwork being in public domain because I guess I just wasn't aware of that because I know it has a very medieval feel to it in the artwork mm -hmm. style. Is that is that kind of how they got the artwork then? Yeah, a lot of it. Like uh, you can look at the credits of their on their uh, on their credit page in the book, and it says, you know, artwork by so and so, so and so, so and so, and dead people. Um, and <laughs> that dead people is the people in the public domain. So you can go on. There's like a, a lot of museums and 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 places like that will put in like super high resolution scans of all their artwork. Get their exhibits. Gotcha. And um, there's a lot of great pieces. There's hundreds of thousands and. Sometimes their search functions and things like that aren't the best, but if you're willing to take some time, you can find incredible art that's free to use. And so there's like a lot, a lot of art. If you see a full color illustration in Morkborg, it's it's made by a dead person and it was uh, utilized for free. Were you able to use some of that then for Seven Aboard the Shack? Mm -hmm. There'll be some of that in there. That said, I, I kind of steered more towards commissioning a bunch of art too. I didn't want to just have public domain stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of gorgeous art from people that are already active in the community and new people that that were on my team uh, that had always that had an itch to do some work work stuff. I'm like, we'll, we'll get you hooked up. So there's, I don't know. Right now, I think there's like two dozen original pieces in the adventure. So as as a small creator, as someone who says, you know, I want to create this project, I want to bring it to Kickstarter, I need to get some artists. How do you recommend someone goes about that? Because obviously, they're they're going to be on a limited budget, they're funding everything themselves. How would you recommend that process go? Well, it's going to depend a little bit upon your project, right? Like, what is the style? What's the feel that you're going for? If you're doing something, let's just say OSR, feel right like you're wanting line art and you're you could do something like really gorgeous super detailed but really osr for the most part you can get away with a lot of different and so um be more specific when you say osr oh like uh yeah sorry like um like the uh ose old school central system or the dcc dungeon classics or something like that right like any of these uh retro dnt clones 
um, which uh, are, you'll see a lot of on Kickstarter. That's the style. It's like, you know, harkening back to a time when, when Dungeons and Dragons didn't have a massive budget and they, they needed art, right? The zine community and the, the old school community and the indie community has really adopted that. So you can get, you can go on there several like Facebook groups as an example, like D&D uh, fantasy art is one where you can go on and just look at a ton of artists and they'll post commission rates and things and you can go that way. That's a great way to do it just in general. My big recommendation also is if you're just starting out, you know, maybe commission a cover or commission a few pieces, but see if you can't make do with either the public domain or um, like the drive through RPG and places like that, that you can get stock art. Working with artists, working with anybody, but working with artists can be that thing that takes your project out of your control and puts it in this like you know, ethereal realm of like who knows when it's going to happen. So for early creators, I always say like you know con- constrain your size a little bit, constrain your scope, and then when you get to art, unless you have like a best bud that is right alongside you and is a great artist, think about ways in which you don't have to commission sixteen different people to get your book done. Would you budget wise? What do you think people should consider when they're budgeting for art? Okay, so that's going to be that could go back to what the style is, right? It also depends on like what is your goal. If your goal is to do a Kickstarter, then you're in a competitive space, right? Your artwork is going up against every other person's artwork that on the feed, right? When you're scrolling through projects, or it's going up against everything else in your Facebook feed or Instagram feed, right? And so I always push towards as much of a budget as you have, spend a good chunk of that budget on your cover because not only is that your book's presentation you can use that in marketing and do little mock-ups but you also use that as your banner on kickstarter and if you spend you know let's just say and i'm going to use numbers here and say low but it, that doesn't mean it's necessarily the low end for you uh, but if you spent like 300 dollars on the cover that's good investment dollars it's the probably the money that you're going to make back first right because a good cover will get you a good chunk of backers uh, and draws them in. And once, once they see the artwork on the cover and they're like, Oh, that looks awesome. I like that. And they click the button to read more. Clicking that button to read more is basically them saying, I want to buy this. Right. As long as your price points are reasonable and you don't ruin yourself with your presentation, you're, you're probably going to get a buy more up. So 300 kind of on the low end, I would, in, unless you're like a really dedicated high budget company, I would probably steer people away from anything above like, 800 for a cover on the high end and then i always push for like about a dozen smaller pieces that you can sprinkle throughout your kickstarter uh is always a good call just to give some more feel and i like to be genuine with hey this is how the inside of the book is actually going to feel i have a gorgeous full color illustration for the cover and i have some cool line art for the interior i want to make sure that i'm representing both so you know when you buy this book it's not going to all look like the cover as an example i've got questions about the kickstarter itself so yeah no please do or uh about the the thing itself so yeah. um if we still want to talk about like the process of the kickstarter first no he he mentioned art and mentioned being in the public domain and it just had me go down a tangent so we need to <laughs> yeah, talk about yeah. the project itself so <laughs> no super cool to super cool to hear about from you know, like a professional. Jeez. So uh, are you going to do a lot of, I don't even know how you would describe this, water or storm effects, like ocean 
problems because I don't know if anyone's been on a boat on the ocean, but it can go from really, really cool to very scary very fast. Yeah, there's um there's a, a table in the book called Unsought Tragedies, and some of it deals with like things that can happen on the sea. A big portion of this book, this adventure, is tables. And uh, um, okay. so in that respect, like the sea is a table, uh, but there's there's tables for also like all the souls that have been lost on here, you know, covetous souls that that are jealous of the player's life, right? And so you can pull experience different characters that way and there's, there's followers um uh, of the, the seven that you can encounter and there's crippled captives and there's all sorts of things the idea behind all of those tables the reasoning is i really wanted a, an adventure kind of i don't know i remember reading some of the old batman books and maybe it's just those graphic novels getting in the way but i like the idea of like this sense of once the prisoners have control things get weird right and so I wanted it to be a sense of discovery for the DM just as much as the players. And so there's a system, a couple different systems within there. There's a card system, and then there's a, a table system, if you'd rather, uh, where when a, your party enters a new level of the ship, you roll a set of dice to determine, or draw a set of cards to determine like what's in this level of the ship and each section of the level of deck. And there's really this sense of, I, as the DM, don't know what's here until I run into it. And so you're you're having to fuse together maybe the certain decks as you roll. Oh, in this area, I'm going to roll uh, an unsought tragedy. So maybe something to do with the sea or with creatures coming in from the boat from the outside or, you know, something. And I need to roll on the uh, Covetous Souls chart. And, oh, this random dice over here told me that I also need to put a, a minion in here. I roll on all those tables and I'm like, oh, I'm going to, okay, the unsought tragedy is there are seagulls that swarm the ship and they they got uh, violent intent. And the coveted soul is the, the soul of the captain. And, oh, the monster is this flesh beast, stitched together flesh beast called a Steigen. All right, well, now I got to think about what that encounter feels like. What is it, what is it portraying? Maybe the flesh beast, I'm going to flavor it to be the captain. So you got like the flesh of the captain as one creature, and then you got uh, the captain's spirit as another creature, and then these maybe the captain's spirit is drawing these these goals to the ship uh, as another form of wrath. And there's really this uh, in the play testing. It's been really fun to discover like what is the what can the ship be every time, and what's the weirdness level gonna where is it gonna take us? So Morkborg's pretty deadly. Mm-hmm. I mean, one bad roll, you know, a PC's taking double damage and that's it yeah i mean we in our little like mock-up combat we both rolled pretty high on our health Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but there's a good chance that you can have one hp yeah 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 is there is there a plan for that on how to do player death if you want them if you want the players to actually experience the whole ship or is it just like a roguelike where you're just like yeah you're dead start over there's some of that. I think the other thing is, and I'm going to say this cautiously, there's definitely like character death in the game is prevalent, right? You're absolutely right. Like one hit point, two hit point. But there's also a couple systems built into the game that kind of help negate that um, a little bit, right? Uh, there's the system where just because you hit zero or you go below, that hit that takes you down doesn't necessarily kill you. You become broken. Right? And of course, broken is still not great. 
but it kind of is a safety net in that regard, right? And then on top of that, you have these rules for arrests, yeah. and the rules for rest are actually really generous. You get a D4 back on a short rest, quote-unquote, but really it just says uh, for sitting down, having a drink, and taking a breather gives you a D4, right? Because yeah, you eat some food, right? Exactly, exactly. And then a D6 if you're, uh, if you're taking a long rest. And so what you can kind of surmise from that is who wouldn't sit down, have a drink, take a breath, eat something after an encounter, right? So, um, and yeah, then if you look at things yourself. like... Exactly. And then like some of the player classes, like um, the Occult Herb Master, they're getting like, there's at least options on there for some pretty nice healing potions. So mm -hmm. I think the idea, the feel of it really is that after every fight, you're getting a juice back up, right? Um, and so I, I think that's very much true. I think that the other thing to keep in mind is that most of the villains also are super low HP. So fights are meant to be really fast and pulpy and like over and done really quickly. Like the big villain in Morkborg, the book, like in the little adventure in the back has like 20 hit points, which is a lot for you as a player character. But when you think about the fact that there's probably four or five of you and your weapons are doing, you know, D6, D8, D10, you can mount, mow through a D20 uh, or a 20 hit point villain pretty quick. I think you've also got the fun opportunity too, if, if somebody dies, um, nobody's really good right in this world so you just unlock a cell and hey guess what we're taking the ship over you want to join us like that's right sure i'm a fang deserter let's go nuts like that's why i'm here exactly or you raise enough as a zombie right? there's 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 a spell baked into the initial game that's like oh you raise d4 zombies and d6 skeletons that could be one of your party members that they come back and there's, <laughs> there's a stat that? block for us for a zombie in the book you can play as a zombie for the rest of the actually have more hit <laughs> okay i know morkboard doesn't have a like a, an experience system it just straight up says you know you level when the dungeon master is like yeah you guys advance what would you suggest for this module is it like after every fight they should try and uh increase their abilities is it like layer by layer uh what's the suggested leveling yeah i i i chose to leave that largely in the hands of of the GM, but okay. um, initial feel would be like, you know, defeating one of the seven, depending on which one. And the seven, seven aboard the shackle, of course, the seven are these, the, the Batman villains, right? Like, there's other inmates or other captives or other sailors or whatnot, oh, shit, but there's seven that you really, depending on which one of the seven, I think definitely defend, defeating one of the seven is cause for a level up. You know? uh, well, go back to the Batman analogy, right? Like maybe going after the penguin isn't a level up for you. Unless the penguin is surrounded by penguins with explosive devices strapped to them. Um, at which point, yeah, that's a level up worthy thing. But I think that would be the barometer, the measuring device at which I gave levels. So you defeated uh, one of the seven. Did I feel like that felt meaningful? Yeah, here, let's, let's do a boost. Did I feel like you kind of got lucky with this one? All right, well, let's, let's give you one more. Okay. Yeah, it, and, and, and the seven, like... Um, kind of dive into that for just a moment because i think that's where you can really get some cool stuff in this system the stat blocks are really it, in general Morkborg stat blocks are really freeform and if you dive into third-party content because the book is really freeform the third-party content is very freeform um and so they do weird stuff stuff that the players are not going to expect um bizarre things and 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 the, they're so threadbare that you it, 
it's really easy to take those few threads that they give you and add a few of your own and get something really unique. Um, so that's been a big focus of this was like, I, I want it to feel like, not that you're just fighting seven bosses, but you're fighting seven bosses that are seven completely different fights, seven completely different encounters. And so um, in Morkborg, you have the idea of powers, right? And for player characters, powers are scrolls, spell scrolls. But for villains, powers can be a lot of things. And powers are easy to write. They're weird. They're broken. Um, and so uh, I think just about every one of the seven has their own set of powers that they get to use and use often. Um, and then they have their own fun abilities on top of that. So uh, even if you just fight one of the seven by themselves, uh, as has happened in playtest, it might be a quick fight. You might defeat them quickly just because of that, the way it worked. But you're going to experience something weird that, like, Sets you back on your heels, and you're like, "What? They did this?" <laughs> There's one that's um, uh, uh, she she's the uh, I think I think my artist calls her Avarice. Uh, that's not necessarily her name, but um, she is a great name. Uh, she uh, has a bag with her, and her one of her objectives, if she hits you, is she also takes something from you, and she sticks it in her bag. Um, and ouch! It's uh, it's random right so like you she 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 stabs you or she does whatever clubs you and 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 you take a little bit of damage and i'm like oh and also she snatches this from you and let me see what your character she says oh she had to take your your lock picks all right there in her back and every time she gets something puts it in her bag every time she does that she gets a hit point from it uh so her hit her maximum hp increases with the stuff in her bag and then once her bag gets big enough that it has weight she can use that as a uh as a higher damage uh item against you uh, so there's, you know, that's an example, but it gets really crazy and really fun. And uh, I think that's part of the appeal is that it's not constrained like D&D or another more complex system is constrained by there's a rule for everything. More poor there's not. And there's almost a freeing thing in it, knowing that if everything's kind of short term lived. I mean, that that is one of those things of now we're we're in the realm of I'm here to see weird shit and see what happens. Not yeah. <laughs> I want to see, you know, Holy Avenger on my paladin and I just got dead to a goblin that turned me into a goblin. Like what the hell? This isn't heroic. Like no, it's yeah. well that's really I'll, I'll remember that death. Next. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's something freeing in knowing that you're doomed because like things can get 110% disastrous. Like the world's ending. Nothing matters. Yeah, I think that was actually the hardest part for me about writing an adventure. Is like the world's ending. Why do you adventure? The book kind of halfway talks about that, you know, the the core book. But really, that's an important question. I think for this setting, it's like you know the world's gonna burn, and it's already burning, right? Like just because the prop the miseries haven't completed doesn't mean that like the world isn't a hot mess. Um, so you're seven bad days away from the end right exactly and so why the heck would you go to this prison ship or why the heck would you do anything that isn't like of immediate benefit and easy for you right um, and so that was interesting I, I resorted to a table <laughs> that seems like the way of things like well on this table to determine why your, your crew is uh, heading out to look for the shackle um, but uh, that's an in, it's a, it was a really interesting thought about like because we have to have a reason otherwise your party won't take it seriously from the beginning. Oh, why are we on the ship? Well, your 
you're getting paid to do this. Well, gold isn't, or silver really isn't a super exciting thing in the world to get a burn in a week. I originally, when you first said ship, my first mind went to an airship. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. The bad guys took over this thing here. When the world swallowed up, they're going to be the only ones in the air. This is the most popular real estate on the planet. Like they get a couple extra days. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, so like there is, that is an interesting facet, especially like, like I say, all the stuff that's come out and like the idea, like there is a lot of people looking for that answer in this world for like, how do we, how do we bypass this end of the world? Uh, one way yeah. or another. Um, airship would be a great one and there's people that are exploring i know um uh, christian icorn has a book and they explore the idea of tech you know, more. Uh, he has a project that has gas masks and kind of pseudo tanks and it's almost like a world war one vibe where you go into the um uh, uh into the uh the lands of the undead uh, that surround she the two-headed basilisk she and uh you're trying to like in this vain attempt push like a, a conquest but really what's happening is that uh, your your kingdom is overpopulated and can't feed everyone. And so they the king has like been like, Yep, we need a we need a war to go fight to like just feed bodies into so that we have less to feed here. Let's do this conflict. It's cool. But there's a lot of tech going on there to some extent. I think you do have that with just about anything. Oh, we're, you know, we're dropping bombs on each other. We build a fallout shelter. Uh, you know, that's, we yeah. have all these things like, well, when everybody else is gone, I'm going to be that weird survivor who's eating, you know, the beans out of the can and, you know, that stuff. And so you get yeah. some of those survival people like, well, I, I, what's your plan? I'm going to live through this thing. Let's see what happens on the other side. Right. Right. Yeah. Zach, we, we all know that Morkborg draws heavily on doom and death metal. Mm -hmm. uh, you can look at the the book, the layout, everything about the book just screams, you know, doom and death metal. Did you or do you immerse yourself in that style of music to draw influence as you're creating this book? A little bit. It's not my like go to, right? Uh, if I'm going to Spotify, it's probably not for death metal. Probably 99 times out of 100. Uh, but did not only is there some good, like you, you had mentioned in the beginning of the book, there's a bunch of uh, like inspiration, right? But now uh, there have been numerous creators who have actually worked alongside bands to create their own doom metal morkborg, like ambient music or actual albums. Um, and uh, so that became a big listening thing for me. It's just like, what do other people do? Like, what does that feel like? So Spotify lists of more boring soundtracks on, on that you can listen to. I'm going to have to go listen to that. Yeah. It's, it's worthwhile and it's really good for players, right? I use roll 20 um, for the play tests and things. And anytime we run a combat, I turn on, you know, somewhat quiet, but death metal music in the background to kind of set that tone and, and that also communicates that's like that's not the fighting music that i would typically have but it gets you uh into the spirit of of the system well, i noticed on drive through rpg it looks like the most prolific morkboard creator is michael mars and he's got a zine called within a mile of home and it just i don't know as soon as i read that i thought oh that's like flog and molly Oh, and it actually, okay, as I'm reading the description, it says a nautical hex crawl based on Flog and Molly's within a mile of home. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so yeah, I mean, music is such a big thing when it comes to this game. Uh, it, it just, 
and you mentioned like a World War One setting or, or in, in adding some technology. And of course, if you if you know heavy metal or death metal or whatever you want to call it, uh, Sabaton is a band that would absolutely you know, help you to draw influence because they, they're very much based on the world wars and, and writing their music around that. Interesting. So I well, haven't really liked Sabaton. If, if you're not going to take in, if if you're not big into doom metal, like there's, there's no reason why you have to stick with that. If you were going to like pick a musical genre for this adventure, what one would it be? Just sea shanties? Yeah. Like that, like I'll like, to me, um, like the doom metal comes in when you're when you're fighting members of the seven. Like that's that's the feel for me. But when you're just on the ship, like my roll twenty soundtrack is like you know those the creak of the ship, splash of waves, and just those you know muttered shanties, uh, you know, drifting around. I think that's absolutely the right feel. Like and there's cackling and, and cries of fear and things from down in the hold. I, that's the thing. Is when you do a prison crawl, or if when I think about Arkham Asylum, it's, it's not a quiet place. Uh, no. it, there's a lot going on, but it's not heavy, or it's not loud, right? That, at least that's in my mind, right? If it is loud, it's those, those singular screams that come from a hallway down the way, right? But most of the time, it's you, it, the experience is you listening for any opportunity to, to have like a, you know a split second to do something before the thing jumps out of a cell or or, or you know, ceiling a dark corner uh, so there there's a mixture of both but i i think my adventure will lean more towards that 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 silence and ambience than crazy sound sorry sir viking metal was the correct answer but thanks for playing our game <laughs> <laughs> there's there's definitely some viking metal we could get that going there's actually some uh, good uh some good viking style ambient music we could get going too that would work <laughs> we got this covered it's fine <laughs> oh i was gonna uh, the other thing that i think is cool that i got really excited about um this is i'll, I'll talk to you for a minute about it if i could because you, you think it got me thinking about the areas of the ship um this is where there's a card system that i built that kind of works it, it, there's rules for in the the book for using tables instead but um not only is there random encounters for every room but i also really like the idea of all right it was once upon a time this is a a, a, a ship of the line but then it became a prison hulk and now it's been in command of the prisoners for a while it's gone through several iterations who knows what every area of the ship is actually used for at this point and so part of the experience is all right so i go up to the captain's quarters right captain's cabin is that a captain's cabin anymore probably not right maybe but probably not and so uh every time you enter a new space you either draw a card or you you roll a table and you determine not only what the encounter is for that if there is an encounter but also what is this space now and maybe the captain's quarter is now a trash pit so you walk up there and you're like, oh, that's disgusting. Oh, there's nothing here. Like the, the exact opposite of what you'd expect from a thing. Um, and that has been, that was really, really fun. It's almost to the point where I want to write like a ton of adventures in this style because you, you really get your creative juices flowing when you're not just setting the creatures in there. Like, oh, okay, there's, there's the stitched together monster and there's this wraith captain and their seagulls. But also the fact that they're in a trash pit 
is different than if they were in a, a fully furnished captain's quarter, or if they were in a meat locker, or if they're in a, uh, you know, in a brig. Like, all of those things uh, inspire us to tell different stories. That's been really fun. We've always talked about uh, like Diablo and their random monster creation thing. That's it's what keeps doing the same thing over and over again. And when you talk about those cards, it's like, all right, first floor is draw from this card here. I need you to pick three random encounters, one boss, and four environments. And then you grab those cards, and it's random. And it's like you all died. Let's run it back. And you go and be like, wow, this is completely different. You know, I mean, it, it gives you the opportunity to play the same module over again. Yep, yep, yep. And I thought that would be cool. Like Zach, you were mentioning at the beginning, like what happens if you die? Well, how cool would it be if you if you actually get your TPK and you're like, let's throw a whole new crew at this? Well, the whole thing resets to some extent. You may know, like, oh, I know what a flesh monster Steigen fights like now, but I don't know where I'm going to encounter that anymore. And and there's plenty of other things to encounter. So I think I think part of it should be this, like, not necessarily a character funnel, but it could be that where you just ramp up the deadliness and you throw bodies at this ship until you succeed could be really fun. When you yeah. mentioned the, the roguelike, uh, almost like a Hades thing, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it, every adventure is different. Let it be different. That's fine. It yeah. gives you more opportunities to play. That's right, yeah. And it keeps everybody on their toes and nobody's bored. And, like, we know what the bad guys, we don't know how, where, or what tools they have this time. That's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks. When it comes to, like, newness like obviously there's the new the bad guys the 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 seven aboard um but what about other monsters or even a new character class were any of those created for this book so there's new monsters i i intentionally i think it's part of me saying like i want to make sure like i said at the beginning my first more board project i want to contain the scope um so i really wanted the focus to be on the adventure so there's no new player options there is uh, not just the new seven, which all have their own stat blocks, but there's also a table of new Cretan minions that go with them. Um, so you get a few more options there. Um, there's a new uh, stat block for captives on the ship, sailors that are that have you know, been worn down nearly to the bone from this experience. Um, and then uh, I also use a lot of. Uh, I like in my products to when it makes sense, and I try to make it make sense more often than not, reference things that you probably already have the book for. Uh, so when I write D&D, I'm going back to the original monster manual and saying like, what's an interesting thing and how can I use these creatures? Because everybody probably has this book and I always get excited when I get to pull a book back off the shelf that I haven't gotten to use, but that I own, right? And so I think I used almost every creature in the Morkborg core bestiary at least once. Um, there's a possibility of seeing one one place or another. So uh, my goal was that like you're going to get excited because you get to play seven on board, but also you're getting to encounter these creatures that you've been looking at the fun artwork for for, for the last year. Uh, there will also be, I guess I should note, uh, there's also going to be uh, my buddy John from uh, my podcast is a guest writer on the project and he's designing a like a little rack card accompaniment product that is seven deadly weapons that are like upgrade kits for the seven that give them magic weapons um instead of their stuff that they have to start off with and so oh. those are going to be cool so like you can you can uh play it through regular and and all of them are still very deadly individuals but you could also give them cool stuff from john um 
and then if your players kill them, you know, you can have cool weapons. So there will be a little bit as far as that goes, and uh, I I think that's going to be a really fun addition. Is like again, it adds that idea of replayability. Oh, we fought them all with their their standard stuff. Let's give them all their crazy stuff and let's run this through again. See what happens. Zach, what can you tell us about the Dolja? Oh, okay. So the Dolja is really fun. Uh, it's one of the seven. Um, the Dolja is like this bipedal goat-headed creature, shaggy fur kind of covering it, almost like a big fur coat, right? Um, that which bleats is its, it's, it's, uh, its secondary name. The Dolja is... I always... So, so my creative process is Pinterest. <laughs> um, when I start to write an adventure, I dive onto Pinterest and I look for art that inspires me. Um, and I say, okay, I'm going to write a a creature around gluttony. Let's just dive into Pinterest for an hour and see what inspires me for that. And so when I was writing the idea of sloth, a loose interpretation of the word sloth and that vice, uh, I kept stumbling across this goat creature. I'm going to do that. So the idea of it is that it's actually one of the more furtive members of the seven it's reclusive it hides it doesn't engage the party if the party wants to engage it they're going to have to go and that's fun in itself it has a lot of abilities that gets it out of trouble but there's a reason that it's furtive and it's one of these creatures that the blood count has put on the ship uh because she knew stuff that the players don't she knew that this creature is more than it appears and she was as much as she was trying to put it out of sight, out of mind, she's also trying to keep the world from a tragedy happening. And the reality is that if you manage to corner the Dolja, or if you if you drill its ire in some weird way, as you fight it, its powers are like a D4, a D4 chart of powers. Every time it rolls a 1 through 3, it's fine. Like it, You just fight it. It's a cool power, but it doesn't... Once it hits a 4, the first time it rolls a 4, it unlocks something now it's a d6 chart and those two on a five or a six are scary and then when it, and you can see like there's this well, i won't give away too much but but the the creature begins to transform as you fight a little bit and if it rolls then a six on that expanded chart something truly terrifying is going to uh, beset you and so there's this idea that uh, it's been trying to avoid confrontation because it knows what it can become and as you engage oh. it, you, you engage that thing, and it turns it from a uh, a certain type of goat creature that you might be familiar with into another certain type of goat creature that you might be familiar with, and that's terrifying. On the when it's rolling a d4, if it rolls a one, does it just scream and then faint? That, that that's the the, the the ability is actually called bleat of the woebegone. Um, oh, and and basically, it lets out this goat scream and. Uh, it it's terrifying, but basically it's it's get out of jail free card sort of a thing. Like okay. it, streaks, it it gives the ability for it to maybe run or at least get away easier, and then uh, so I'll it screams you. and then you faint. That's yeah yeah very much so yeah. <clears throat> so let's see. I could give you at least I could give you a little tease. So the lower abilities are bleed of the Wobegon, and then it goes to glimpse of the obscene, and then it gets to uh, Lucifer's devout unveiling. And then the big one is uh, Jackal's Becoming. And that's the... You don't want that. 
I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> so I'm looking at the artwork for the Dolce. And I posted it in the the podcast chat if you guys wanted to take a look at yeah, it. And it this really thing cool. looks wicked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, that's by a guy named uh, Simone. I think his name. I found him on the Mark yeah. War Facebook group actually, just loving everything. And he was doing art, and he's. I don't know if anybody. I'm like, yes, I want some of that art in my book. So I thought he made the Dolja. He actually made a bunch of. I think he's got like seven art pieces that are going to be tucked into the book. So he's awesome. So you've yeah, been pre- previewing some of the artwork on your personal Facebook page. Uh, obviously, that's the, where the Dolja is. And it looks like what is this like little maybe a little girl in armor? What what is this? So that is um, one of the covetous souls um, that you can encounter. So part of the interesting bit about Morkborg is the idea that the continent is surrounded by the Endless Sea. And uh, the Endless Sea is this... It almost has a... As the sea almost always does, it has a personality. Um, and it has its own agenda. And in my mind, part of that agenda is souls. There's something within the sea that, that collects souls. And, and there's even this idea that I posit early on that the sea, that the sailors de- understand that on long voyages, that the, the sea demands a tithe of souls before they allow the ship safe passage. And so um, one of the things you can encounter uh, on the ship, you will almost certainly encounter, guaranteed encounters, numerous souls that kind of drift up from the depths of the ocean. And so it gives, what it does, uh, A, is it gives us more encounters, but it also gives us more encounter variety because it's not just captives and guards that you can encounter on the Endless Sea. It's the souls of anyone that's been lost here. And so Thera, this young girl, is one of those individuals uh, that you might encounter. There's also some uh, sirens spirits of sea sirens, there's fishermen, all sorts of individuals that, that have nothing to do with the shackle, except that the shackle happens to be drifting uh, in the same waters that they are. Very cool. So when does it launch? All right. So uh, we're eyeing the 25th of January. That's kind of our, our target date. So we're about a week away at this point. That said, uh, you know, it'll be somewhere between the 25th and the 2nd of February. That's kind of our window, um, getting the last few things ready for it, actually turning it over to layout uh, right before we launch. Um, so we're, this is going to be a fast one where we're, you're going to get the book pretty quick after, after the Kickstarter ends. And so we're trying to make sure that we get all those decks in a row uh, before we hit the launch button. Uh, but I think the 25th is where I know traditionally like well of the kickstarters that i've gotten from bite-sized gaming drifter atlas they've been typically a paperback book uh of the ones that i've received what is the thoughts on this one is this going to be a hardback paperback uh what are your different tier levels for it so that's a great question we are going to do a soft cover initially i had the idea of it being hardcover kind of fitting alongside it's going to be a5 format just like the core book uh same same dimensions but um what I realized was that the adventure that I wanted to tell, because it's largely table-based, is isn't huge. Like like you can, I think it's like thirty some pages, um, and um, so I'm like, it doesn't really need to be a hardcover. And also, I really wanted to uh, include as kind of the core package a fold-out map, the levels of the ship, 
And then I had the idea of cards and a card system where you, instead of rolling on tables, you, you flip out cards for each area of the map that tells you what the room actually looks like as opposed to what it used to be. And then you're drawing cards for the encounters. I'm like, all right, if I'm being honest, by the time I ask for someone's money for a soft cover book and a map and cards, uh, that's a hardcover price. That's the reality of it. And so if I throw in a hardcover stipulation on top of that, this could get pretty expensive, and I want it to be affordable. Um, I want it to be something that you want. So uh, the tiers kind of start at just the PDF of the book, and but and then they work down to the whole kit and caboodle. But one of the things we prioritized in this is uh, print and play and uh, VTT assets. So there's a lot of tier variety for people who are international, who uh, can't afford the shipping costs right now. There's also tiers for, I want the book, but I'll print out my own cards and my own map uh, at home. No problem. We could do that. Uh, we're going to include that. I'm also super conscientious of the fact that I haven't played a game in person for two years. Uh, I do everything on Roll20. So um, not only is there going to be like a map and and tokens that you can put on Roll20, but also um, all of the cards will be part of that asset pack so you can create your own deck and play it actually like you would on the table with cards and deal them out using the Roll20's uh, card deck feature. Um, so the goal is a product that has a tier that should facilitate your table, your group's uh, method of play as the private. Well, cool. I We're just about at time. Zach, Nolan, do you have any other questions? I don't. It sounds really cool. Um, I like... Yeah, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I like the theme. You throw on a boat, you crank it up to a bunch of randomness. I mean, it's, it's kind of what you expect out of Morkborg on a different area. So it, it sounds really cool and fun. The only other thing I'll, I'll throw in here at the end is um, early on, we have a couple of stretch goal tiers um, for turning this into a... Uh, DCC and a 5e adventure, giving the conversion kits. So uh, one of the things, obviously, uh, is that Markborg is really rules light, and it's also its own beast of a system. Maybe you don't. Maybe the idea of this adventure sounds cool, but you're like, I don't care about Markborg. No, that's blasphemy. <laughs> but you know, we're all blasphemous in Markborg. So if you want this in 5e or DCC, I think that'll happen pretty quick. Um, and so you'll get you know, all the stat blocks and everything for those systems. Nice. Zach, I think the project looks amazing. Um, I think you guys do such a good job. So I'm always excited when you have a new project coming out. I do have a link to the, the preview page uh, in the show notes. Uh, if you don't mind, if you could send over just a, one or two pieces of art that we could put on the cover for yeah. this, that would be great. And I, as always, look forward to the stuff that you guys are putting out. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's a blast, and uh, I've been enjoying your uh, your lead up to this with all the more work and your new format in general. Is just I got really excited when you announced it because um, my goal, as it was kind of last year, but carrying over into this year, is to play as many different systems as possible. Um, and so it's like great. Now three hundred seven has this is kind of following along in a similar vein and and giving me another resource to learn these system so pretty awesome well thank you yeah thank we're you. Yeah. we're excited about it. it it's nice to actually just dig in and focus yeah yeah for sure well that is our show for this week everybody uh 
I know we have one more week in January left, technically. Um, oh, gosh, no, we have two more weeks in January left. <laughs> so we're going to have to figure out what else we're going to do, because this has been three weeks of Morkborg, and we got to figure out what else we're going to do. We'll have to talk about that. But we will get it figured out and take a look at the next game. I know we're going to be looking at Tolis soon, so make sure you tune in for that. Until then, thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Have a good Bye. one. Thank you.